Welcome to Water Chat, the Global Water Forum podcast, bringing you and your ears today's freshest water insights. Follow along at www.globalwaterforum.org. Hello and welcome to Q&A. I'm joined today by Frederica Otto to discuss climate change and the Cape Town water crisis in South Africa. Dr. Frederike Otto is the acting director of the Environmental Change Institute here in Oxford University. Her main research interest is on extreme weather events, improving and developing methodologies to answer the question whether and to what extent external climate drivers uh, alter the likelihood of extreme weather. She's the ECI lead scientist on the international project World Weather Attribution. Uh, welcome to this program, Frederike. Thank you. How are you doing this morning? Yeah, very well. No water crisis here. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, can you take me through the the Cape Town water crisis and uh, and what you found in your study? Uh, yeah. So so very briefly, the from um, basically the years two thousand and. Uh, 15, 16, and 17, the rainy season in uh, in the Cape Town and the in the larger area around the Western Cape uh, was extremely dry, um, and so um, especially the and it's usually a um, a region where it rains in a lot in the winter and then a little bit in the shoulder seasons, so spring and autumn, and. N- it never rains in the summer, more or less. Um, and so in these three years, um, the winter rain was very little. And in particular, the rain in the other season was basically absent, which led to, um, yeah, to um, the the water reservoirs uh, in, in the mountains above the city of Cape Town to be, have very low levels of water. And so um, the city of Cape Town was... Um, threatened to be running out of, of drinking water or water. So basically it was um, the possibility that the um, the pipes would run dry was very high. And um, and of course, given that we are living in a world where climate change is a fact um, and climate change is happening and we have already uh, one degree of warming above the pre-industrial levels uh, in global mean temperatures, um, when such a an extreme weather event happens or extreme climate related event happens the question is always what's the role of climate change and that's what um, what my work is about and what we have done in this study to answer the question um, whether and to what extent climate change altered the likelihood of such a drought to occur and and you were you were in Cape Town when the drought and everything happened Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I wasn't there for a very long time, but okay. I was there during the drought, uh, and um, w- which was an interesting experience because um, when as soon as you landed uh, the airport and you uh, went to the bathroom and wanted to wash your hands, there was no water coming out of the pipes, so you could only c- could only clean your hands with sanitizer, but you, there was no um, there was no running water in any of the public um, public bathrooms, and also in the hotels they had. Um, connected the um, uh, the um, the water that you use to flush the toilets that was connected to the wastewater from the washing machine. So whenever you used that, there was suddenly all sorts of bubbles coming out, which when you don't expect it was an interesting experience. And so it was it was so everywhere were posters saying safe water, and everywhere, especially in all the public um, institutions, 
they had implemented very strict measures to save water, which um, which was um, really fascinating to see that because it worked. So they were actually not running out of water because of all these strong measures that they have implemented when the threat became real. Um, they actually had water through enough water throughout the crisis so that the pipes were not running dry and then once the rain finally started um it, yeah it it lasted until then but it's it's also i mean they they won a water conservation award in 2015 i think before the crisis occurred can can you tell us a little bit about uh, the result the results in in your research what has it uh, what, is, what does it, what does that mean for the water management of, of Cape Town? Yeah. So, um, in our um, in our study and um, in 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 all the studies like this that when that we do when we when we answer the question whether and to what extent climate change um, affected uh, affected an extreme weather event. Um, Every extreme event has always multiple causes, so there is never just one cause. It's always a combination of different causes, and it's always a combination of um, climatic drivers, local, just local noise in the weather system. There's always a component of um, what happened in with with the land. So was it, a, um, and and what what happened in the years before, uh, and. Um, Usually, not what, never one of these causes is sufficient. It's it's always um, it, it's always the combination of them all. But um, the way how climate change can affect um, weather is um, basically twofold. So one is what we would call um, the thermodynamic effect, which is relatively straightforward. So you have more greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, so you have overall higher temperatures. That also means locally you have higher risk of heat waves, lower risk of cold waves. You have more water vapor in the um, in the atmosphere um, because a warmer atmosphere can hold more water vapor. So on a global average, you would expect more extreme rainfall, um, but also with higher temperatures, you expect more higher... Um, uh, um, what's the word? The, the water disappears quicker. What's the word? Evaporation. That's the word. <laughs> so you have higher evaporation. Um, but that's sort of the, the thermodynamic effect, the simple effect. But then you also have a second effect, and that's what we would call the dynamic effect. Um, because we change um, the, co um, the composition of the atmosphere, that has an effect on the atmospheric circulation, which means... Uh, it alters where weather systems develop, how they develop, how they move. And this effect can um, be either in the same direction at the thermodynamic. So if you have expect more rainfall because of a warmer atmosphere, and you also get more low-pressure systems bringing in rain, then you have a much stronger effect. But the opposite could also happen, that you, have, um, that you would expect more rainfall, but because um, the atmospheric circulation is changing in, in a different way, you actually get fewer uh, weather systems that are conducive to rain, and then it will rain less in, in that area. And because this second effect is very different depending on the type of event, depending on the region in the world, and depending on the season, for local events, uh, Effect events you can't make um, general predictions. You have to look at the at the individual uh, situation, and that's what we've done in in Cape Town. So we asked the question: Okay, what 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 was actually this drought? How did we define it? Okay, it was a three-year drought. 
Um, and then um, what was the likelihood of a drought like this happening in the world we live in today? So with climate change and found that it, uh, it was about a one in a hundred year event. And then we looked, okay, in, uh, given that we know very well how much greenhouse gases there are in the atmosphere uh, on top of the natural ones since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, we can remove these greenhouse gases from climate models and then say, okay, what would the likelihood of such a drought be in a world without man-made climate change? And found that it was about a three, one in 300-year event. So because of anthropogenic climate change, um, the likelihood of such a drought to occur has increased by a factor of about three. So when I read your paper, you, you and your team, you, you argued that climate change has significantly increased, more, more than doubled the likelihood of prolonged drought to occur. Um, how can these uh, findings be misused and misinterpreted? And wh what do you think are the dangers of this? <laughs> um, well, I think... Um, one one danger could be that people that say, oh, okay, so this was climate change, so um, we actually can't do anything locally and have to wait until the um, the world, the uh, yeah, all the governments of the world have uh, finally decided to actually combat uh, climate change, um, which which would of course be the wrong interpretation because although climate change increased the likelihood of such a drought to occur, um, that um, that doesn't mean that it's just because of climate change. It also means that there are a lot of other factors that d that do play a role, and some of them you can't do anything about it because it's just um, not weather. Uh, just, uh, but um, there are definitely um, things that that you can do locally to just be better prepared, so to adapt to these changing uh, risks of drought. Um, and I think that's important to focus on that. Um, and of course, um, while in this area, actually in, in the Cape Town uh, or in the Mediterranean part uh, of, of, of Southern Africa, um, the, um, our results or the results of this kind of studies are very, um, uh, are very robust. We have high confidence in it because um, we, we understand what the, how the how the weather weather is changing? We understand very well how climate change is affecting the weather. The models are comparably good. The climate models that we use compared to, for example, other parts of of Africa. So in that case, um, these are quite robust results. But it's still um, it's still only one part of of the puzzle, and um, it's important now not to focus all efforts just on drought and ignore that. There could also be other uh, extreme weather events. Because there, there might be some people who would say, you know, you're mi actually missing other factors, you know, such as poor management, infrastructure, that also have driven the water crisis in... in well, yeah, we have not looked at these factors at all. And there are there were um, a few weeks before we published our paper, um, there was a paper that uh, that was published that basically said it was, it was all due to poor management, um, which... I think is uh, is probably a bit too strong because actually, given that they have not run out of water, the management can't have been that bad. Um, but of course, it it highlights that management is a key factor, and I think both both of these um, 
both of these aspects together mean that it's a it's a strong sign for uh, for Cape Town water authorities to to um, have a, a, a more diverse source of water because at the moment almost all the water in the city is coming from these reservoirs, um, whereas um, there are now plans that um, maybe you could bu uh, build desalination plants. Um, you could, for some of the water supply, you could maybe also use groundwater. So I think um, I, I think Cape Town probably has deserved their award because they are really taking this serious and, and now thinking about, okay, now we have seen what it means to have a prolonged drought. Um, and we know that this is something we should expect to see more of in the future. We really need to, yeah, to, to become even better and diversify the water supply. Do you, do you see any other cities around the world that, that face various uh, same kind of similarities to Cape Town? Um, well, I'm I'm really not a, a city planner, <laughs> so um, so but so I I can only answer this from a sort of climate point of view, and um, there um, there are basically two areas in the world where we see very strong increase in drought, and that's one of them is South Africa or Southern Africa rather and the other uh, part is the Mediterranean in in Europe so um the the yeah the the the, the, the uh, countries around the Mediterranean in Europe where we also see very strong increase in droughts um throughout the year but in particularly in summer so um so i think for all these uh, countries that issue will also be um very important and then of course there are other parts um, in the world where drought has always been part of the of the natural climate variability and where also it's not um, it's not likely to change anytime soon so um, of course that these these it's not that climate change always and everywhere changes the weather completely but uh, I know that you have worked uh, in India you have done some research and can you tell us a little bit about because when you read the news, there's, you know, water crisis in Chennai and so on. Can you tell us a little bit? Well, we actually haven't really um, done much work on droughts in India so far. We're currently working um, on um, working with scientists in Mumbai on uh, trying to better understand um, droughts in uh, in the eastern part of India, but um, it's. There, the science the science is really not as clear cut as as in the Cape Town area because, uh, on the one hand, it's difficult um, to the um, the observational data is um, is a bit uh, is much harder to get hold of, um, but also to find climate models that are actually um, able to um, robustly simulate um, what we see, the climate in the area is 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 quite challenging. So there, our confidence in the results is much is much lower. Um, I think India um, has definitely in India we have worked a lot on heat waves, um, and and I think that's something where India is really changing the way how they how they manage heat waves and and implement heat wave plans and all the uh, all the cities which has a huge impact on uh, on the health of the population can, can you tell us a little bit more about that like heat waves in india or your work in cape town how, how do when you meet politicians and present them these results how, how do you how do you convince them to to take to take a new a new course 
Um, it, it's mostly not not me who's doing the convincing. <laughs> it's usually uh, it's usually um, um, so in in particular with our work in India, we have from the start, and I've been working in India for for many years. We have um, the projects were always. Um, actually with that so that the scientists were in the minority um and uh, there were um many people who work for in ngos or um or local governments in a part of the project and and sort of act as knowledge brokers and so we would work with them um to write summaries of our papers and um and try and and, and yeah get out the key points uh, for the papers that that are relevant for the region and then they would engage do more of the engagement so we have quite a strong division of of, of labor though <laughs> okay okay what what's the next step for you with your with your research um I think there are two really exciting next steps. So one of them is um, actually happening here in Europe because the European um, climate service provider Copernicus, they have um, put a call out um, that they would like uh, a group of scientists to design a prototype for an operational attribution service so that at the moment we do attribution studies um, on events that we find interesting uh, and and when we have the time, which of course is a lot fewer events than actually happening, and where people actually would like to know what climate, the role that climate change is playing, and so in Europe, Copernicus has the aim to have uh, an op uh, over yeah within the next two to three years an operational system that whenever an extreme event happens that's relevant for Europe, there is a team of scientists that does an attribution study quickly. So uh, and um, yeah, I'll. I'll be involved in designing that, which is which is really exciting. Um, and I think the other re um, exciting part of the work is um, to um, to work more on the so what question. Okay, now we can answer for a lot of events, not for all of them, um, what the role of climate change is, but what do we do with this? So um, is this um, how can we how do we um, is this actually useful for society and if so how so um we yeah we are doing some some really interesting work with social scientists of um yeah we have now a lot of social movements uh towards climate change how can we um can we maybe um do our work in a different way or formulate it better so that it's actually more useful for for the courses that that we of society have in terms of mitigating climate change um and there are really interesting questions about um can this be used in courts can this be used in um to in, in in litigation cases um where the questions are not so much on the scientific aspects of it but on the legal aspects of it um, and so I've had a lot of really interesting conversation with lawyers recently. And what are they saying? Um, it depends a bit on <laughs> on on the jurisdiction. Um, so whether you talk to American lawyers or to to, to European lawyers, or um, because of course the legal systems are are quite different. But most of them are really excited about it. But um, there is quite a lot of work to be done to. Um, uh, to phrase the scientific results in a way that it uh, can be used in the um, in the way that causality is used in courts, 
I think that that is a key missing bit at the moment. Okay, very good. Uh, this was a true privilege to have you on this program, uh, Friedrich. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You've been listening to Water Chat. If you would like to know more about anything discussed on today's program, you can find us at globalwaterforum.org. You can also catch us on social media. Our Twitter handle is at GWFwater and Facebook, we can be found at facebook.com forward slash globalwaterforum. Thanks so much for tuning in. We look forward to catching you next time.